Come on, how many of y'all are glad to be in church today? Amen. Good to be here. In fact, look at that neighbor beside you and tell them, I am so glad I'm sitting by you today. Come on, tell that person beside you. Tell them. Tell them that. Come on. Come on now. Come on. Also tell them this. Say, I'm making you look really good today. Come on. I want you to know that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Some of y'all, that was pretty easy to do. I love it. I love it. Well, I want you to grab your Bibles. We want to dive into the Word of God here today. A message been stirring in my heart for us here. Let me mention a couple things. Uh, those of you, you've been, uh, heard this talked about the last couple Sundays here at Victor Center, but uh, embarking upon just providing tools, because how many of y'all know it's about becoming, it's not about just showing up at a church service, but it's about becoming a disciple growing deeper in the Word of God. And the Word of God is a, is a value. It's a core value here, honoring that and the devotion to the Word of God is a core value here at Victor Center. So we are working to enable you to be a better disciple, a student of the Word of God. And so if you use the Version Bible app, uh, you can open that up and you can go to the Events tab option there. And if your, events, uh, if your location services turn on your phone, you'll see Victor Center Church there. If your location services are turned off, you may have to search for that, but uh, you will be provided there with the notes, a basic outline of my message today. We also have paper handouts of that that is available at Guest Connect out there in the foyer. Uh, These are just tools to help you grow deeper in the Word of God. Because let me tell you, Victor Center, we are not about just a Sunday morning experience. We want you growing. We want you building the kingdom of God uh, in your world, but you've got to build the kingdom of God in your own life first before you can build it in your world out there. And so this is part of growing deep into the Word of God is just taking it, being a student of it. You know, you think about it, there's no way in about, you know, 40 minutes here on a Sunday morning, especially with my topic of today, there's no way in 40 minutes that I'm going to be able to give you everything that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to your life. But my prayer is this, that something is stirred in your heart, that you're maybe even provoked uh, to study and go a little bit deeper on your own. Because any time that you hear a message don't let it be just something that you go from the place and just say, oh, well, that was good or that's all right, and just go back to your regular life. Take the words and meditate on it. Mull it over. Go back and study it. Read the scriptures yourself and see what the Lord continues to, wants to continue to download into your life. Amen? Because the Word of God is alive and it is well. It is alive at Victory Center Church today. Amen? So grab your Bible and grab your device and let's go to the Lord God in prayer. And I'll just give a quick shout out. Ladies, you don't want to miss out on Women of Victory tonight. Tammy has got an incredible word for you. It's going to be great. So be here at 5 o'clock. Husbands, kick your wives out of the house about 4.45. Kick them out, tell them to get to the church. Uh, you will not regret it. It'll be wonderful. All right, grab your Bible, grab your device, and let's go to the Father God in prayer as we dive into the message today. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for all that you've already done in this service here. We've, we've sensed your presence here in this place today. And Lord, you give us the promise of your word where two or three are gathered, that you are there in the midst. So Lord, we know that you are here. Lord, we're not here today to bring glory to ourselves, but Lord, we open our heart wide to you, for you to speak to us, Lord, to encourage us, Lord, to even correct us if that is needed, Lord God. Lord, we are a people here in this church that love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. So, Lord, I pray this. Lord, would you give us the eyes to see what you want us to see as individuals today? Lord, would you give us the ears to hear what you're speaking into our life right now in this moment? 
And Lord, give us the wisdom to wrap our mind around the principle that we'll talk about here today that we may apply this to our life to continue in on our journey of faith with you. In your name we pray. Everybody say it with me. Amen and amen. I want you to open up your Bibles with me. You can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 real quick. We're going to hit that real quick. And then we're going to dive over into 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, we're going to read a little story there. But I want to continue on in the series that we started out a couple of weeks ago about the war we don't know that we are in. Look at your neighbor and tell them, we are in a war. We are in a war, and we've had some great teachings already as we dive into this teaching here today. I'm going to bring just another thought, another concept here today, but we are in a war. And we've talked about Ephesians chapter 6, about the battle is not against flesh and blood. Come on, how many of y'all know the war is not against your spouse? Come on, your spouse is not your problem, right? Come on, your kids are not your problem. Your boss is not your problem. Come on, your neighbor is not your problem. The problem lies in the spiritual realm that are driving these things in the natural behind. The war is in the spiritual realm. It's, it's not against flesh and blood. Come on, there is an enemy of our soul out there. And I want you to see something here that Paul addresses in 2 Corinthians. And I believe that why this message is so important is because I, I don't know about you, but I love October. October is one of my favorite months of the year. One is it's my birthday month, but also I just, you know, I, I love October because supposedly in the past, the seasons start changing and summer starts going away, supposedly, right? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be, what, 90 degrees again today? I mean, summer is holding on. But I love the fall times, the cool evenings, the cool mornings, love getting outdoors. Of course, I'm a hunter. You know, I like to be outdoors. Growing up here in the panhandle of Oklahoma, I love the outdoors, so I love that that's the shift of that. But there's something also I've noticed over my many years that I've been alive is how many of you know October gets a little bit kind of spiritually wonky, if you know what I mean. Things kind of start getting weird spiritually. I mean, we've seen what happened just even a couple of weeks ago with Hamas and Israel and everything's going on there. I mean, there is a spiritual battle going on. And, and you know, and it's, it's no wonder that all the spiritual weirdness starts happening because, you know, what the world celebrates here in just a couple of weeks with Halloween. I mean, it's celebrated. I mean, there is a spiritual battle out there, right? And I want us to see something. Paul addresses an issue in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that he actually uh, confronted in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. See, there was a guy that was living in the church or that was coming to church there in the Corinth that uh, he was living in sin. Imagine that, right? Uh, and the sin that he was committing, now this is going to be really gross, okay? So just guard your heart right quick. But the guy was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Everybody say, yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah, yuck, 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 right, yuck, yuck, yuck. But so Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I mean, 1 Corinthians, the book 1 Corinthians, but it's in here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that Paul addresses something because when he confronted the sin in 1 Corinthians, the guy made correction. Come on, how many of y'all know it's a good thing when people realize that they're wrong and they make correction, right? Good for him, right? But Paul addresses this, and I'm just going to hit something real quickly here. Verse 10, verse 11, chapter 2, excuse me, verses 10 and 11. Paul says this, verse 10, he says, Now whom you forgive anything. Now, so you've got to keep the context of this. He's referring back to this, this man that was living in sin. Uh, and you know, the guy made correction. So he's saying now that he's made correction, we've got to forgive him. He says, now when you forgive anything, he said, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Okay, that's just context for this next verse, okay? 
This is what I really want you to see in verse 11, but you had to understand what he was writing so you can understand why verse 11 is so key. Verse 11, it says this, lest Satan should, everybody read this last part with me, come, lest Satan should what? Take advantage of us, for we are not, continue to read with me, please, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not ignorant. So Paul's addressing the context is walking forgiveness. He says about this, he says, we got to be careful that the enemy does not take advantage of us. Don't let the enemy take advantage of us. Come on, say this. I will not let the enemy take advantage of me. In the war that we are fighting, the war, the unseen war that you can't see with your physical eyes, the war that is raging around us, there is a war that is out for your life. It is out for your soul. There's a war, the enemy, Jesus even said in John 10 that the enemy comes to do what? To steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you what? Life. And life more abundant. Come on, I don't know about you, but I like the Jesus kind of plan for my life, the Jesus life, right? But for every plan that God has for our lives, Jesus' purpose for your life, there's also the enemy's plan for our life. And the enemy's plan is always to steal, kill, and to destroy, right? So Paul's addressing this issue. He says, you, we can't let the enemy take advantage of us. We can't be ignorant. Come on, look at somebody beside you and tell them, don't be stupid. Come on, we can't be ignorant. That's what that basically means. We can't be ignorant of his devices. That word, their devices, in the original Greek language, means his schemes, his schemes, his plans, his strategies, right? And so there's many different schemes, strategies that we can talk about here today, but there's one particular that is plaguing the American church today that I want to take just a brief moment, I can't in the amount of time I've got with you today to really dive into this as deep as I want to, but I want to talk today about the war of compromise. The war of compromise. There's a battle that's raging today for us who are strong believers in Christ to compromise our values, to compromise what we stand for and begin to accept things into our lives. So let's dive into this today. Anybody ready to go for the next few moments? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, listen up, this is for you today. First Samuel, look at, let's look at First Samuel. I want you to see the story here, the story of King Saul. King Saul, who was he? He was the first king of all of Israel. If y'all know David, David who slew Goliath, he was the basically the second king. Now there was a couple, there was a little transition time there, but you know, so Samuel, King Saul, then there's David, and then there was Solomon, right? And there were, in between the two transitions, there was these little power struggles. But King Saul, I want you to see this, the first king. It's in chapter 15 that we see this little story where God has, okay, they've come together, they've elected, they've made King Saul the king of Israel. I mean, they're excited. And so this is kind of, at the moment, it's, it's a good moment for the nation of Israel, so to speak. And so God gives Saul a command to go annihilate, in other words, to bring judgment on a group of people. The group of the people that was, God was going to judge was the Amalekites. Okay? Now, the reason why God was bringing judgment on the Amalekites is because whenever God was delivering the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, there was this group of people that attacked them when they were vulnerable, when they were very weak. And because of that, God was saying, now I'm going to judge them for what they did. This is a whole other message. Let me tell you, God does judge nations. And we see that there is judgments throughout the Scripture. And I, I, it's just a little side note. So this is picking it up. And let's pick up in verse 18 of 1 Samuel chapter 15, all right? It says this, verse 18. 
Now the Lord sent you on a mission. God's addressing now Saul through the prophet Samuel, okay? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are, everybody say it with me, what? Consumed, verse 19. Why then did you not obey? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil on the sight of the Lord? Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed. Parents, have you ever heard that from your kids before? I told you to take out the trash. <laughs> Why didn't you take it out? Well, I did. You did. It's obviously it's still there, right? Anyway, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back. And I brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I have uttered and destroyed, utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Verse 21. Look at this. But the people, people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now, this is interesting to me because, first of all, you know, so in other words, to set this up so you understand, the command was to what? Destroy everything. Don't keep anything back. Samuel's. Through God, prophetic word. Saul, why didn't you do it? Saul says, I did. He said, no, you didn't. Then Saul changes his tone a little bit. Well, we got there and decided to keep some of the best. We kept the king. So let me ask you, did King Saul, did he successfully complete the mission that God gave him? Everybody say, not at all, not at all, right? So, but let's look at this. Saul begins to make excuses. I know it. There's probably nobody in this room that's ever made excuses to God before, right? This is what Saul is doing here. So Samuel, verse 22, look at verse 22. So Samuel said, Samuel, he's the prophet, okay? Samuel said, Hast the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, the famous statement right here, everybody say it with me, to obey is better than sacrifice. Come on. You need to underline or circle that phrase. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed than the fat of rams. Verse 22. For rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, kind of having this revelation, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Mm. What a powerful story that we see this kingdom principle that we're talking about here. It's the principle of simply being obedient to the word of God and not compromising the word of God. I wrote this in a minute. Just because something seems good doesn't mean that it is right. Amen? People tend to justify their actions by their own reasoning, and this is the biggest problem that we have in our world today is because in churches across America today, there are many people that proclaim their love for God, but are we truly that say we love God, are we truly being obedient to the Word of God? Come on, how many of y'all love the Word of God in this place at Victory Center? Come on, you love the Word of God. The Word of God is a value to your life. 
I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. We'll just put it on the screens for you real quickly here. You don't have to turn there. But the scripture basically says this, for every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. It's amazing to me that as human beings, we're champions and we're really good at this, at pointing out the problems and the things that are wrong in other people's lives. Come on, anybody know somebody like that? But when we look at our own life, when we examine our own life, most of the time we have the attitude, hey, I'm good. I'm good. Even as I preach this message today, some of y'all are thinking, wow, I wish so-and-so was here. I hope so-and-so is listening today. No, there's a principle that you've got to understand when it comes to the Word of God and being a disciple. The, the, the principle is this. You've got to draw a, a circle around yourself, work on everything inside of that circle. You control what you control and everything else you've got to give to God, Right? In other words, don't be thinking about this, hope so-and-so's listening to this message, or you know what, they, they got a problem. No, this is time for self-examination for us today. We gotta take the word of God and examine ourselves today in this message. And so there's a couple of thoughts here I just wanna leave you with. Number one is this, don't take the bait. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and tell them, don't take the bait. When we think about this battle that we're in, this war that we're in, the fight that we're in, if the enemy has that threefold purpose for our life to steal, to kill, and to destroy... As a Christian, I want you to know this. One thing, this is a simple principle. The enemy has no right to your life. Come on, the devil is not omniscient. Come on, the devil is not sovereign. The only right that he has to your life is when we open the door for his influence into our life. Come on, as a son of God, as a daughter of God, we are blood-bought children of God, and we are Jesus's. He is his. We are his, he is ours. Come on, the enemy has no right to our life. His plan to steal, to kill, and destroy our life, man, under the blood of Jesus, he can't touch us. But the problem happens, though, is when maybe we have a crack or an open door or where we give him access into our life. And and, and let me see if I can just kind of hit on some basic principles right quick. The way that the enemy will have access into our life is when we open the door to him and give him access. And what he uses to get us into his traps is temptation. Temptation. Temptation is the bait used to ensnare us. Temptation. So let's think about this temptation for just a moment. You know, uh, temptation, it's that bait. If the enemy can tempt us, he can get us lured into his trap. Y'all have been taught this well enough to know. And, and then when you get into the trap, it's bondage. It's bondage. And so, uh, one thing growing up here in the panhandle of Oklahoma, I mean, I'm a trapper. I, I used to trap, let me say it that way. I uh, love to fish. Come on, every good fisherman knows to catch the right fi- to be a good fisherman, you got to have the right what? You got to have the right bait. Bait's the temptation, right? That hooks the fish. Be a hunter, you got to know what attracts the animals, right? I'm in this season of my life. I love to use this example because it's just a tremendous example of the way the devil works, okay? Now, I'm in this season of my life, my favorite hunting right now, I love coyote hunting, but I found something I enjoy more than coyote hunting, and it's pig hunting, feral pig hunting. And it's because, you know, they're getting bad around the area. Now, you don't really necessarily have them out here. And so for the last couple of years, I have been pig hunting. And it's just fun. Get out there in the nighttime. I mean, it's, let me just say this, you guys, it is a rabbit hole to fall into pig hunting. You can spend a whole lot of money on a lot of equipment and it gets a little crazy, okay? So there's a temptation even in that. But let me just give you an example. So north of Fairview, I've got this property that I'm allowed to hunt. In fact, uh, here about a year ago, we set up a feeder. I've got a picture of our feeder up out here. So that feeder that I have set up out here, that is a brand new feeder that we just bought, replaced our old one. That'll hold 600 pounds of corn. 
uh, in the morning at 7 a.m. and in the evening at 7 p.m. That thing will go on for 10 seconds and it'll shoot corn out all around that area. Now, the reason why I am doing that is because I want to get pigs to that area so that when me and my buddies go out there, we, we're not going out there and wasting our time, right? So let me just show you another picture that was taken last night. So this is my feeder last night, okay? Now, when I see that picture, that gets me excited, okay? Now, stay with me for just a moment. You'll understand where I'm going with this. My intentions for that feeder being out there is to get those pigs to come thinking that they are getting a free lunch without having to work for it. I'm trying to develop. Now, I'm not going to go out there tonight and sit there. I'm probably not going to go out there tomorrow night, but I am going to try to get these pigs to develop a pattern of showing up at that feeder because my desire is not for their good, it's for my good. My intentions to get them enticed to be at that location is for their ultimate destruction. Anybody kind of follow with what I'm saying? Now, that I showed you this, you know what my intentions are. I would most bet that there's somebody in this sanctuary today that this thought is going through your mind. Oh my gosh, Pastor Brad, I can't believe you would do that. And there's somebody that's sitting here in this sanctuary today that if I took you out there with me one night to go pig hunting, if those pigs showed up, you would stand up and say, run, pigs, run. You're in a trap. Is there anybody that would be like that? Come on, is anybody? Some of y'all. Are y'all all bored with me, man? Let's go kill the pigs. Is anybody else with me? <laughs> is that not a way that the enemy works? Come on, we, we, get, we, we start compromising beliefs. We start compromising our standards. We start dabbling into things we know are contrary. And we're like a little nervous at first. But we realize, oh, you know what? That really nothing happened. I'm okay. See, this is the problem with compromise in our lives. Many times we don't know it's compromise until it's too late, until we're in the trap. Anybody with me? Come on, that's why I'm here today. Come on, I don't want to stand here on the stage today and say, come on, run, get away from that. You're being set up. It's a trap. There may be some pleasure in it for a few moments. You may be feeling good, but you're in a trap. Look at your name and tell them, run, baby, run. Come on, Run. Matthew chapter 4. I want to just think about this temptation. Let me just drill down on this for just a moment here. I love the stories of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, we read about the temptation of Jesus. It's in verse 1 that says this, and Jesus was immediately, this is right after he's baptized, starting the earthly ministry, baptized in River Jordan. Immediately, he says here, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Come on, to be what? Tempted. What is temptation? Temptation is the bait used to get us into a trap, right? He was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Interesting. Jesus tempted? If Jesus was tempted, do you think we have to endure temptations? Are you with me? Okay. There's a lot of y'all that know the story about the temptation of Jesus Christ. So track on with me. I'm not going to read the rest of that. You can go back and study this for yourself. But let's think about this just for a few moments, all right? Temptation. What was the first temptation of Jesus? Anybody remember? It was what? Somebody besides Pastor Margaret. She knows it. It was the bread. 
Yeah. It's kind of like when you get on stage and say you're Matthew, but you're really not Matthew, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't leave that alone. <laughs> Those of you who was this last month, man, y'all let me make a fool of myself up here. <laughs> Calling him Matthew. <laughs> anyway. He had the name tag on, right? So it was a trap, a trick. Y'all fell for the trap. No, anyway, let's go back. So the temptation of Jesus, right? He was tempted to turn the stones into bread, all right? Was that a legitimate temptation? Okay, let me say this. A temptation is not a temptation unless there's a pull on something on the inside. You know what I'm talking about. If I stood here on this stage and had a donut fresh out of the oven or out of the fryer, just dripping with, with you know, glaze on it. I'm like, would you like a bite of this? Many of y'all would be like, oh, come on, give me some of that, right? But if I had a plate full of liver and onions up here, now there's some of y'all crazies out there, you'd like, give me some of that. But most of y'all would say, I don't want that, right? What's the difference? A temptation is not a temptation unless there's a pull, a desire on the natural person, the natural man. So everybody tracking with me? So let's go back. Jesus' temptation, temptation. He was tempted by the devil. Turned the stones into bread. So was that a legit, was that a true temptation? Yes. Come on. It, yes, it was. Why? He'd been fasting. The dude's ready to have some food now, right? It was a temptation. It was a pull on the natural man. Okay, second temptation. Anybody know what the second temptation was besides Pastor Margaret? He was taken up to the top of the temple. And the devil said, throw yourself down. The angels will lift you up. Okay, let's think about that. Was that a temptation to do? It wouldn't have been a temptation if it had to pull on something on the inside. Okay? Third temptation. Anybody remember what that was? He's taken to a high mountain, shown all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of man. And the enemy said, if you will bow down to me, I'll give you all this. Okay, here's a thought. Did the enemy have the right to offer him the kingdoms of the world? I believe he did. Because of the original sin in the garden of Adam and Eve, right? Whenever Adam and Eve sinned, now you got to remember, Adam and Eve was created and put into the garden, and God said very explicitly, let them, let man have dominion. Let man have the right to rule upon the earth. But when the sin happened, when the, basically what happened is Adam and Eve, because of temptation, yielded the authority that they had to the enemy. Okay, so let's go back to the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4. The enemy offered him all the kingdom of the world. Was that a temptation? Yes. I, I, I don't have time to really dive into this. All three of those temptations were basically shortcuts to what he was called to do. It was a shortcut to the mission that he came to earth to fulfill. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? You think about this. Jesus came so that the power of God may be manifest. If he would have thrown himself down, it would have been a shortcut to that part of his mission to bring forth the power of God for people to realize that God is all-powerful. For him to bow his knee. See, he came to give his life to pay the price for all the kingdoms of this world. Are you tracking along with me? Everything that the enemy offered him, tempted him with, the reason why it was a temptation, because that was exactly what he came to do. It was just a shortcut. 
he wouldn't have had to pay the price. In the same way the enemy wants you to compromise your values, your belief, and he is offering you a shortcut to maybe something that is already stirring in your heart. Listen, don't fall into the trap. You're being set up. God has a way, and he'll bring it about in the right time. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. It is amazing to me, every, not every, it's hard for me to keep away from generalizations of this, but I cannot tell you how many times we have counseled young men and young women who think they have found their true love, and they're like, you know, I am 90% sure that this is the person for me. I'm like, you're 90% sure? Yeah, but this one thing. Let me tell you, it seems like every time the right one comes along, the enemy always brings forth a counterfeit, all right? Don't take the bait. That's just a little side note. I didn't know if somebody needed to hear that today. But let's look at this just a little bit deeper, okay? Everybody, you, everybody okay? Everybody good? Everybody good? Now, temptation, I want to drill down for just a few more moments before I leave this thought here. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2 because all the temptations, the, the things that pull on us to try to get us, the bait to try to get us into a trap can be summarized in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, 16, 17, where the writer says this, do not love the world or the things in this world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world. Come on, how many of you know that includes everything? All that is in the world. Then he brings three categories of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the, what's the third one here? The pride of life is not of the Father, but it is what? Of the world. Verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the Will of God, come on, what's the result? Abides forever. So let's just talk about this for just a brief moment here. These three categories of temptation. Now, we talked about Jesus for just a moment, but go with me back. Don't literally go in your Bible, but in your mind, go with me back to the original uh, temptation in the garden. Y'all remember the story of Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve in the garden created their perfect environment. I mean, here they have abundance. They have everything. They got the perfect spouse, in the garden. They're running around buck naked. Come on, how many of you know? That's heaven right there. Woohoo! Sign me up for that one, right? But what happened? They compromised. They were tempted. But let's take, I talked about the temptation of Jesus. I didn't really have time to go into the temptation of Eve, but I do want to show you a contrast of the two in relationship to these three categories. And I've got a little, just a, a couple of slides here that I want to show you here today. So when we think about these three categories of sin, um, can we put that? Is that easy to throw on the sit? No, okay, okay. I uh, apologize. Those you, I'm probably going to stay on this side because I'm right-handed and it's easier to go over here. So when we think of the lust of the flesh, when we look at the classification of the temptation, lust of the flesh is this. Basically, it's my body wants something that it's not supposed to have. Lust of the flesh. Woo, come on, food. How many of y'all like food? Yeah, come on now. I, you know, uh, uh, aren't you glad we believe in the full gospel? Uh, Victorson, come on now. How many of you know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Come on. The full, my body wants something that's not supposed to have. When we think about mankind's yielding are in the garden there with Adam and Eve, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, the lust of the flesh. Come on, there's the lust of the flesh that operates in our lives. Now, we know the result of Adam and Eve. Jesus, okay, Jesus' victory over temptation. Jesus didn't turn stones into bread. He could have eaten, that he could have eaten, though, because he was starving, right? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh works against us. It's a temptation, all right? So let's look at the second category, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is basically this, that my mind wants something that it's not supposed to have. 
This is the lust of the eyes. Going here, Garden of Eden. So when the woman saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes, okay? Jesus, contrast Jesus. Jesus didn't take the shortcut to his future reign over the world after viewing the impressive kingdoms of the world. It was a temptation, right? The third category, the pride of life. The pride of life. My ego wants something that it's not supposed to have. And this is one thing I've learned about us human beings. We like to be built up. In other words, really, the lust, uh, excuse me, the pride of life is really all about us. It's all about me. It's about my kingdom, me building my kingdom, okay? The pride of life. My ego wants something that's not supposed to have. The woman, so when she saw that the tree was to be desired to make her wise, whoo, this is about me, what happened? She succumbed to the temptation. Jesus, just, Jesus didn't think too much of himself, presuming upon God's watchful care to throw himself down off of the temple there, all right? The pride of life. Now, let's look at the results of this. So let's go and flip over the, the next slide there. So what happened to mankind? She took the fruit, she ate it, she gave some to her husband. Where was her husband at in the original sin? He wasn't out on a hunting trip. He wasn't taking a nap. He wasn't watching a football game. Where was he? He was right there. Come on, guys, Adam is as much to blame as the woman. And this is just another message, a man's message. Why didn't Adam stand up and be the leader of his home that day? Okay, that's another message. So the further result was God's disapproval and separation from mankind. So Jesus, uh, the devil left him. Behold, angels came or ministered to him. This was a demonstration of Jesus' sinless perfection as he would go to the cross and take our place, bearing God's punishment on our behalf. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was found without sin. Come on, how many are glad Jesus passed the test? Woo, come on, let's give Jesus some praise in this place today. He passed the test. Mm. See, temptation's goal is to pull you away from your relationship with your heavenly father. What was the result of Adam and Eve's sin? Separation from the presence of God. What was the result of Jesus winning the battle of temptation? The presence of God was greater manifest. He came out anointed. This is the good news is. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, we can overcome the sin. We can overcome compromise. We can do this thing. Amen? Let me start wrapping this up here. Let me just give you a couple just quick thoughts here. We are in a battle to compromise, the battle of compromise. It's a tool that the enemy uses in this unseen battle that we're in to pull us off and to get us off track. Compromise defined as this. Compromise, it is an agreement or a settlement of, an, of a dispute. Let me say that again. It is an agreement or a settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side making concessions. That what, that's what compromise is. That's in your notes there. Compromise, compromise. It's where, two par- where somebody gives something up. Compromise. I heard about this uh, New York family who had bought a ranch way out west, maybe he's even in the panhandle, I don't know, where they intended to raise cattle. Uh, friends visited that ranch from their New York City family, and uh, they asked them, do you have a name for your ranch yet? And the dad said this, the owner said this, he said, well, he said, I wanted to name the ranch Bar J. My wife favors Susie Q. My son, he likes the flying W. And the other wanted the lazy Y. <laughs> so we decided to call the ranch the Bar J. Susie Q. Flying W. Lazy Y Ranch. The man continued to ask, well, where's all the cattle? The guy simply responded, none of them have survived the branding yet. <laughs> 
Compromise is not always the best solution. Amen. <laughs> Compromise, it weakens our faith. It's, it's a weakening giving up of our principles and ideals for reasons of convenience. If we're not fully following the Word of God, then we are compromising. Do you really value the Word of God in your life? See, we can determine how much you value the Word of God by how much you're living in the Word of God. Come on, don't just show me, don't just tell me, you show me if you value the Word of God. If the Word of God is a value, there's gonna be evidence in your life. And this is the thing that we as American Christians struggle with. We've got to understand that operating by the kingdom of God principles, building the kingdom, the, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. We don't get a vote in this thing. And I think that's why so many American Christians struggle with really trusting in God and walking with him because literally, really, you and I don't get to say so in this thing. It's God's way or it's nothing, right? See, our problem comes when we start manipulating the word of God to make it fit into our life instead of us taking the word of God and making our life fit into it. Anybody with me here today at Victory Center Church? See, the enemy, you think back to the original temptation in the Garden of Eden, whenever the enemy came to Adam and Eve, that, that moment there, you know, can we have this? And Eve said no. And the enemy responded to this, has God said that? Did God really say that? And that is the thing that the enemy is whispering to so many people's lives. They, Does God's word really say that? Anytime that you hear that phrase, it is a moment that the enemy is tempting you to compromise your belief. And there's a big problem going on in our culture today to water down the Word of God. There is a whole terminology that identifies this new movement in our nation today, and it's called progressive Christianity. And you will find, especially in bigger cities, you're going to find this as a mass movement that are people gravitating to progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity basically says this, that we have a greater revelation now of the Word of God and we know better than the ancient scriptures that were penned were. And under the guise of covering everything with grace and the love of God, it is now saying that everything is really now acceptable. Let me tell you what that is. That is compromise. Has the word, has the enemy, the enemy still coming. Has God really said it? You think about there whenever the enemy came to Jesus and the temptation we talked about in Matthew chapter four. The enemy knows the word. He even used that word against Jesus. Let me just say something. You can take anything in the word of God to justify our actions, especially when you take them out of context. That's why we've got to be students of the Word of God. You've got to know the context. What is it saying here? What is it saying? I've got a situation I'm dealing with back, here in, back in Enid, in her own church. Well, I've got this lady. She is on a rampage to destroy her former husband, to destroy her former pastor. She's, she's in this rampage. And let me tell you, any time I talk about what the Word of God says, that you've got to turn the other cheek, we've got to pray for those that spitefully use you, let me tell you, it is like darts being thrown at me. It is. And what has happened is she's taking the Word of God out of context and trying to formulate the Word of God to justify the battle that she's in, but she's fighting the wrong battle. 
She's taken out of context. Where she's manipulating the word of God to try to fit her life, to try to fit her action to justify what she's doing. Instead of taking her life and, and laying it on the altar and saying, Lord Jesus, man, I want to be more like you. I want to be what the Bible says. And that, that's a big problem. I'm not talking about specifically, you know, about the, using the word as a weapon, but we're trying to justify our lives and our actions, trying to make us feel better about ourselves. Remember what the scripture said? Every man's ways are pleasing in his own eyes. Church, this is my cry to us today. We've got to surrender our life to the Word of God. We've got to look into the mirror of the Word of God. If I had more time, I'd really dive into that scripture in James where it says the Word, it's like a mirror before us. Come on, what does a mirror do? Anybody, what does a mirror do? How many of y'all looked in the mirror before you came to church? Some of y'all should have looked in the mirror. I know, I'm just kidding. Come on, we look in the mirror of the Word of God. We look into the mirror before you came to church. You looked at, you, what did you do? You looked at your hair. You really was looking to see, really, what do I need to fix, right? Come on, you looked into the mirror, and that's what the Word is for us. It's a mirror to us. It should reflect back to us those things that we need to adjust. So many times we've got these little things that go on in our life, and we try to justify it by the Word of God instead. It's a sin of compromise. Don't compromise. Look at your neighbor and tell them, don't compromise. We can't compromise this thing. One final thought. We can win the battle of compromise. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell them, you got to win the battle. Three things real quickly I wrote under this point here. You can, it's in your notes. How do we win the battle? Number one, know the Word of God. Know the Word of God. The Word of God is the truth that we've got to live our life by. Do you really believe in the absolute truth of the Word of God? Do you believe the Word of God is the truth today? Let me hear you, Victor Center. Come on, do you believe it? There's a whole world out there that devalues the Word of God that thinks that they know better now. Where do you stand on that? Where do you stand? Know the Word of God. If you truly know the Word of God, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to like, man, I hope I don't mess up. Know the Word of God. Number two, I wrote this down. Know your values. Know your values. We define our values by what we hold to be true in our life. See, our core belief system, what you believe to be true, is made up of your past, your experiences, and your education. It's out of the core belief that we formulate our values. Values. Values are basically boundaries that we establish. Whenever Tammy and I moved to Enid back, golly, 26 years ago now it's been, we bought this house out on the north edge of town. Had no fence around it, no big deal. Man, I like big open spaces. We lived here in Guyman, was right over here at 1712 North Beaver. Our window to the master bedroom was just a few feet from our neighbors. And they had a teenage boy that loved to throw parties every time the parents were gone. We spent many sleepless nights at 1712 North Beaver. We moved to Enid. We wanted space. We wanted space. We found space. There was one particular day that we was just doing life and we noticed this stray dog had shown up in our backyard. The friendly stray dog. And every time you start to go outdoor, outside, that dog, I mean, he wanted inside badly. And our kids was pretty small, and Tammy told the kids, don't open that back door. That dog would be all over in the house. Sure enough, one of the kids went over and just barely cracked the door to say hello to that dog, and boom, busted through the door. It's all over in the house. 
Amy and I looked at each other pretty quickly after that and said, you know what, we gotta get a fence up around this yard. If we don't get a fence up around our yard, we're gonna be dealing with strays for the rest of our time out here in this part of town. We put the fence up. Guess what? I've never had a stray dog come to my back door again because I put a boundary up. Values are boundaries for our life that protect us. Parents, what are your values? This is the second part of that. Teach them to your kids. You want your kids succeeding in life, teach them the values that we carry. And this is a whole other message maybe I can bring another time about developing your values. So know the Word of God. Number two, know your values. Number three, know God. <laughs> know God. You know what is interesting? Tammy and I, we've celebrated, gosh, what, 35 years of marriage now? We've been married for 35 years. I was hoping somebody would be excited about that and celebrate that. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Let me try that again. Tammy and I, we've been married for 35 years. Thank you. The longer we're married, the more we're going to celebrate that because we need to set a standard in our society. You know what's interesting? Because I know her so well. If you come and invite me to go eat at the China Buffet after church, you know what I'm going to tell you? I'd love to, but I can't. We're not going to. Because I know she does not like Chinese food. You're not going to go. I may get Chinese food about once every two or three months. Because I know what she likes. The reason why I say this, know God. If you really know God, you don't have to wonder if he approves or not approves. You know him. You know those things that hurt his heart. You know the things that he values in your life. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet with me here today. Know the word. Know your values. Know God. Church, I'm convinced of this. We would have a whole lot less problems in our life if we would simply live by the principle of drawing close to Jesus. Drawing close to him. The closer we are to him, the less we have to worry about all this other mess. (laughs) The temptations that are out there in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these all come against us. So you can win the battle of this. Come on. Say, I can win this battle. Come on, say, I can win the battle. Put you to bow your head with me right quick here. Victor Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.